The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 67. At the end of the episode we will have Ain't No Messiah chapter 15. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that one. Uh, looking, I think there's 24 chapters altogether. So uh, after this, we got about nine more. Um, another thing I'll share today. Well, actually, let's just go ahead and share that now. Uh, it's off of Untold Mayhem. Again, I forgot to look to see who the narrator is. But this is the short story Gone for Good. Um, it's one of the very first short stories I ever wrote. Also one of the first short stories that I published. Uh, I think I probably got paid five bucks for it, so it wasn't a lot of money. But at the time, it was enough to give me confidence to continue to write, to know that um, there were people that thought my writing was better than the other writing that had been submitted to them. So that definitely helped a lot. But let's go ahead and check this one out. It's a short one off of Untold Mayhem. Um, You can check the details to see who narrated it. Next week, I'll try to think ahead and see who did the narration on that story um it's a little bit hard when there's nine different narrators on an album all right so here it is gone for good gone for good this was the exact reason joanne left los angeles and moved halfway across the country to a small town This type of savage atrocity was only supposed to be committed by the filthy creatures that inhabited large cities. Gruesome murders weren't supposed to happen out here in the middle of nowhere. After one last look at the body, Joanne exited the bedroom and made her way toward Officer Donovan, who was pacing back and forth at the end of the hallway. Joanne asked, Were you the first to respond? Donovan said, Yeah, Ken Moore was on the other side of town helping Miss O'Connor with her chickens. I was picking up lunch at the diner when I heard the call. Sure, I'm glad I hadn't eaten yet. It's not a pretty sight in there, she said, letting him know that if a seasoned veteran like herself was upset by it, then he had nothing to be embarrassed about. God, she was just a helpless old woman, and the number of times she was stabbed, it's sick. Joanne shook her head. Someone the victim's age should be baking cookies for her grandkids or knitting a sweater. She had no business being spread across the bed, having spent her last few minutes on Earth as a human pincushion. What can you tell me? Do we know anything yet? Diana Snyder, 67 years old. No sign of forced entry. Guessing she left the door unlocked. Her husband, George, found her and called 911. He nodded toward the kitchen doorway behind him. He's in there. When I came in, he was cuddled up beside her. How's he holding up? He stopped crying. I think he's in shock. Okay, I can take it from here. Care if I wait outside? I don't know if I can handle listening to him anymore. It's too damn sad. 
That's fine. Start interviewing the neighbors. They were probably too far away to see anything, but you never know. Donovan hurried out the front door. Joanne walked toward the kitchen, took a deep breath, and braced herself. This had to be the absolute worst part of the job. She would rather examine a dozen mutilated bodies than interview one survivor, especially so soon after the incident. The distraught man sat at the small kitchen table, his once-white T-shirt splattered with blood. Joanne slowly crossed the linoleum floor, giving herself time to steady her nerves and study him. The bony old man was a wreck, his wiry white hair scattered every which way, streaked a dark brownish red from having run his bloody hands through it. His bloodshot eyes were such a pale blue that it looked like the years had peeled away their brilliance. He had an average-looking nose, straight and without bumps, but a strand of clear mucus hung between the tufts of white hair that pushed from each nostril. Standing with her hand on the back of an empty chair, Joanne said, Excuse me, Mr. Snyder? The man looked at Joanne. She's gone, he said, his voice cracked and desolate. Gone for good. Gently, she asked, Do you mind if I sit down, sir? He clenched his hands. Oh, God, I can't believe it. Joanne took a seat and offered him the package of tissues she kept in her jacket. His large, round eyes overflowed with anguish. It's George. Joanne set the tissues on the table, hoping he would use them to wipe his nose. George continued talking, oblivious to the gesture and the dangling string of snot about to drop onto his upper lip. We were high school sweethearts, you know, he said, eyes fixed on his hands. Joanne nodded. In her 16 years in the LAPD, she had discovered that, if time permitted, it was best to let the survivors talk about other things before addressing the tragic event. It seemed to serve them as a type of security blanket that would lessen the impact of reliving the terrible trauma. George said, Ever since she took the seat in front of me in freshman English, I'd stare at her auburn mane and imagine caressing it. She was beautiful. Joanne had never been loved by any one man for more than five years. But here was George, idolizing a wife he'd had for 50. The first time she let me hold her hand, we were walking down Cherry Avenue, my arm burning from the weight of our school books. From that moment on, I never let go. Joanne was tempted to grab the tissues for herself. She couldn't let the tears flow. That would be unprofessional, even in this hick town. Joanne knew she should be asking questions in case the killer was fleeing the area. But she figured a few more minutes wouldn't hurt. Whoever had committed the atrocity had not been careful. They would have more than enough evidence to track down the animal. We got married 48 years ago and had three wonderful children. We made them on that same exact bed that she was... The old man looked at Joanne, really looked at her for the first time. Why did this have to happen? It wasn't supposed to. We were going to die together. 
Joanne cleared her throat. I don't know. I'm so sorry. She's only been gone an hour, but it feels like an eternity. I don't know how I'll ever make it without her. You will, she said. If only things had been different. I feel like it's my fault. Did you leave the door unlocked? No, everything was locked. But this could have been prevented. She didn't heed my warnings. Joanne imagined his unsuspecting wife opening the front door and inviting the killer inside to use the phone, or perhaps the bathroom. George said, And what a terrible way to go. Must have taken over five minutes, and she was alive most of it. There were 77 slashes shredding Diana's body, but only a few delivered to the torso. Joanne eased her chair back and asked, Did you hear the attack? Is she still on the bed? George, where were you this morning? He used the back of his hand to wipe his nose, dragging the slimy mucus across his cheek. I was here all day. In the backyard? He shook his head. I warned her to change. It didn't have to end this way. guys hopefully you enjoyed that short story um that was gone for good off of untold mayhem uh not sure if we're going to share a short story every week along with messiah but for now um i don't know every once in a while if the chapters aren't too long i'll see if i can squeeze in two uh part of the reason for doing that is i also don't have a whole lot to talk about um I did just go on a trip to pick up my son in Arizona. He stayed with my mother-in-law and father-in-law for about five days, which was incredible. A very brave boy, stayed by himself uh, without his mom or dad. And uh, But yeah, he had a great time. Uh, my wife and I drove out there two days ago and then came back the very next day. So a lot of driving. It was about 16 hours, 17 hours altogether there and back. But it gave us time to talk. Also gave me time to listen to Try Not to Die on Brightside. So I heard the first um, half of that. I think she's going to put up the other half this week or so. But yeah, the actress Maxine Dennis did an incredible job. Um, so I'm looking forward to that coming out. And what else did I do on that trip? I listened to a little bit of German and talked a lot about Try Not to Die in the Pandemic. Um, I went over problems that I had with the story with my wife, uh, sections that I didn't think were strong enough or I had questions about or just to make it more believable. So she gave me a lot of really cool ideas that I'm going to implement. So that's what I'm going to start working on this week is trying to put in lots of those ideas. Um, let's see, what else? Jiu-Jitsu. My son just started up again yesterday at Gracie Baja. I think my wife might be starting up again too. I will not because I don't want to risk my neck. It's finally getting to a place where uh, it feels pretty good. So for the time being, I am going to stick with uh, what I'm doing right now. 
So I'm just stick with the pool and yoga, and that's about it. I'll have to be uh, fine with that. But as long as I'm staying active, staying uh, mobile, that's the most important thing for me. All right, guys. Yeah, like I said, keeping this short, um, I really don't have a whole lot of new stuff to talk about, and I have a lot of work to do. So I'm going to get on that while you guys listen to this short story. Thanks so much for checking it out, and I will see you guys again next week. Later. Chapter 15 I'd been living in Vegas for 15 months, keeping a low profile and using Charles as my last name, positive that it elude Father's search. The only time I ever left my studio apartment was for the gym or work. The bar was off the strip, but we got packed. Tough guys in fighting shirts that promised pain. Girls with tight tops showing off their chests. It was Tuesday, about one in the morning, and the local rush was over. I'd already restocked, so I leaned against the back of the bar and tried to ignore Jules's ass. Jules was the brunette bartender bent over the counter, giving the guys in front of her a great view. Me an even better one. Her shirt was tight, enough to see she didn't wear a bra. Her leather skirt as short as they made them, no panties, as usual. I tried not to stare, but she wanted me to. It was just looking. Jules had an incredible body, an ass just waiting to be smacked, a face prettier than any porn stars, and on that subject I was becoming all-knowing. First time that it had ever happened in my life. The one habit I was having a hard time trying to shake. If I'm not the Messiah, I'm burning for sure. And if I am him, I've got some explaining to do. But right then, it didn't matter, because Jules was slowly swaying back and forth as she laughed at a lame joke. The guys left with their beers. Jules tossed their tip into the nearly full jar, then whirled around with a sly smile. Caught you again? I wouldn't turn red. She loved seeing that. You know I'm here. Like it was no big deal, she said, You think about what I said? Amanda's off tomorrow. We'll be in bed all day. You really asked her? Jules looked at me like I was the crazy one. She told you she wanted you to join us. I don't know. What, do you think I'm ugly? Are you kidding? Jules bit her bottom lip and gave me a look that I'd think about for days. I know you like my ass. What is it? I wasn't sure what it was and didn't want to say what it might have been. I was scared. It was wrong. Dirty. It was her girlfriend. I could damn the entire world. A million things I could have said, but then I got lucky and two women walked up to the bar. I nodded and said, Customers. Well, think about it. Jules turned around, rested her elbows on the bar, arched her back even more for me. What can I get for you, ladies? First round's on me. I could only see the one to Jules' right. A tall blonde with strong features, like she could take a punch if she had to. Her top was two red triangles barely holding back her mounds of silicone. I figured she was being funny when she ordered a white Russian with her thick accent. The one I couldn't see said, Double cherry gray goose sour. Jules said, Yummy! And grabbed two glasses from the rack. The woman had a thin tribal tattoo circling her arm and tits as big as the blonde. Her hair was the darkest black and she still had it short, close to her ear. There was no way it could have been her, but when I said, Beth, she looked right at me. Joshua? Oh my God! She squealed. It's the Messiah! 
She jumped up and reached across the counter at me in a huge hug that smelled like sugar-coated strawberries. So good to see you. You work here? I broke off the hug. Until I figure out what I want to do, not sure if I plan on staying. She said cool and wrapped her arm around her friend's waist, broke her away from whatever she was saying to Jules. Sasha, you've got to meet the Messiah. Jules mouthed, Messiah. And I said, long story. In that same Russian accent, Sasha said, Get over here and give me a real hug. Jules smiled at me. Yeah, take your break, Messiah. You sure? You better get over there before I do. I went around the bar and put out my hand, but Sasha slipped inside and guided it around her back and onto her ass, her ug even tighter than Beth's. Beth scooted in between. All three of us connected. Nice try, slut. Sasha slapped Beth's ass, then slid back onto her stool. Can't blame me for trying. Beth took both drinks from the counter. Just for that, I'm taking yours. She nodded at the dock booths lining the far wall and told her to bring the next round. Watching Beth lead the way was something special. Her low-cut jeans showed me she felt the same way Jules did about panties. She slid into the tiny booth and handed me the white Russian. Her foot worked its way around my leg. So how long have you been bouncing here? The lights were low, but I could see her eyes, same blue as before, but dazzling, a shimmer of glass hiding most of the pain. I'm a barback. Get the fuck out of here, Beth whacked my shoulder. I mean, Jesus Christ, look at you, you're a giant. I didn't want to go into why I couldn't get a chef's card or explain the number of professional MMA fighters on the hiring list. It's a cool job for now. I don't mind working hard. Beth's hand settled on my thigh and squeezed. Oh, it's so good to see you. You're one of the only people I'd ever want to see again. Are you just out visiting? She shook her head and downed half a drink, licked the drop off her bottom lip. I ran away the day we had our thing. Been here ever since. Wow. You were so young. So what about your dad, the whole religion thing? I wanted to say I didn't know, but I used my computer for more than just porn. They got a new building, and from the pictures, it looks like a good deal of believers to go with it. It was a little embarrassing, but I admitted they're doing much better without me, but he still swears I'll return. Will you? It was so easy to smile at her. And leave this? How about your brother? He ever come out? Out here? No, he left with me, but stayed in Georgia. I'm not sure when he went back home, but he's there now, sitting in my old spot, the right hand of father. Beth said, Not what I meant, but that's cool. Glad he's doing good. Sasha set three large drinks on the table and rubbed her butt on me until I scooted over. She was soaked in jasmine, her tit pressed against my arm, her hand on my thigh. So, where you two know each other? Beth nuzzled up against me and took a drink while her other hand played with my pocket, her fingers slowly sliding in and out. We were at the same school for a bit. It's where I learned how to be a lady. Sasha was in the middle of a drink when she burst out laughing, spraying liquid across the table. Hope you got your money back. I'd talked enough about home. So what about you guys? How do you know each other? Beth said, work. It wasn't long before Jules comes over with the third round. It must have been obvious that I was already buzzed because Jules told me not to worry. I clocked you out. Sasha said, oh, goody. Her hand on my thigh crept up 
to my crotch and bumped into Beth's. Beth shook her head. Hands on the table. You're no fun. You've got a man. Sad, fat piece of shit. I just live there. I don't fuck him. With a hand not protecting my package, Beth flashed her an okay. Yeah, right. Sasha got close to my ear, her breath so warm, those tits squished on my arm. I rock your fucking world. Beth grabbed my dick and squeezed. We've got some unfinished business. Fine, Sasha said. He wouldn't know what to do with me. Some pretty boy with spiked hair and a soft face came up to the table, a beer in hand, slurring his words. He said, Hey, beautiful, can I buy you a beer? Sasha held up her drink. I'm fine, thanks. Come on, my friends really want to talk to you. Sasha didn't bother looking away. I said, no thanks. I think you'll want to talk to my friend. He knows you. You got trouble hitting? Beth held down my leg and said it was fine. He set his beard down hard on the table. Didn't seem to notice it splash on his hand. Why are you so angry? We just wanted you to come back to the hotel. We got money. Sasha turned to him. What'd you say? My boy said you know what you're doing. Best he ever had. Who the hell is this? He pointed to the guys gathered by the mirrored column. None of them over 200 pounds. The, the one in glasses smiled and waved. I don't know the little faggot. Probably confused me with your mother. Beth laughed, and the guy turned red. He looked at me and said, Shall I just talk to you, you pimp? Sasha was out of the booth before I could grab her. She threw her drink in his face. The ice cubes bounced off our table, and Beth kept me back, said to trust her. If the guy could see what was coming, he probably would have covered up or said sorry, but he just stood there and laughed, used his shirt to dab his eyes. Crazy bitch! The glass was cocked over Sasha's shoulder like a baseball bat. She swung and let go of it split second before it shattered on the side of his head. Beth pushed me out of the booth. Get her! The guy dropped to a knee, but Sasha kept kicking him, screaming, I look like I need a pimp, motherfucker! Before I could get there, a fist connected with the side of Sasha's face, knocking her to the ground. The coward who did it never saw me coming. I smashed in the side of his head, sent him to the floor. The spiky head guy was back on his feet, his fist bald, his face all bloody. I told him not to do it, but he did anyway. My punch landed first, square in his mouth, and he joined his friend on the floor. The other three guys were frozen, all eyes on me. I commanded, get these assholes out of here and never come back. They obeyed. It was a Tuesday in June, 115 degrees outside but nice and cool inside my Lexus that was worth more than all three of my parents' cars combined. This car was only two years old and looked new, but Jules wanted a new one and was okay with me paying 10000 up front. She knew I'd be good with taking over payments. I'd only had the car a week, and Beth hadn't seen it yet. The sun had just gone down and my windows had a heavy tint, but I stayed scrunched low in the front seat, completely still so I didn't rub the new work on my back. I'd just finished my fourth session on the piece, proof I'd never be the man Father promised. The gate to Beth's apartment complex was directly across the street. The place was beautiful, but in our eight months together, I'd only been in it twice. 
The gate slid to the side, and Beth's ruby-red convertible eased out of the driveway. I waited for her to disappear around the corner before I flipped a U-turn and hurried after her, keeping a half-block between us. It was my first time following anyone, but I'd watched enough movies to know how it was done. Beth headed uptown and eventually pulled into the back of a shopping center. I idled across the street, saw her knock on the door of the last building before someone let her in. I drove around to the front of the complex. Massage, painted big and red above the pitch black windows, a flashing neon sign saying they were open. It was two hours later, and Beth's car was right where it had been. I drove around to the front. All the other businesses were closed, only three cars in the lot. The temperature was still over a hundred, but I was freezing, keeping the A.C. on for the dozen roses. The flowers were only part of the surprise. The necklace in my pocket, hopefully enough to get me laid more than once a week. I shut off the car and stepped into the night, the heat like a pillow pressed against my face, making it difficult to breathe. I limped across the lot, my calf bruised from all the ankle locks we drilled the day before in jiu-jitsu. There were no hours on the door, just the open sign, but it didn't budge when I tried to push it. I put my hand up to knock and heard a loud buzz, the click of the lock being released. The waiting room was nice, comfy, white chairs and a deep red carpet. The big Samoan in the black security shirt sat in front of the only door. He pointed to the small window. An attractive blonde smiled at me. I don't think I've seen you before. First time with us? Her room was just big enough for her and her stool. No filing cabinets or desks. Yeah. It's a hundred for half hour, one fifty for the full. I didn't want to look cheap, and a hundred bucks is what I averaged every night on just tips. She took the hundred and nodded toward the door. Go ahead. I need it to be Beth, though. I don't know names. Brunette and real pretty. I pointed at my neck and said, head down to here. The girl said, Sure, no problem, brunette. But don't tell her it's me. I want to surprise her. Go on, we'll take good care of you. The Samoan stepped off his stool and we were eye to eye. We nodded at each other and he opened the door. On the other side was a hall of white carpet, red curtained doorways on either side. The receptionist came around the corner and led me down the hall with her hand on my back. She brought it up to my shoulders and felt my arm. Such big muscles! Are you a Marine? Police officer? They would never take me. When we got to a side hallway, she asked, Would you like a shower first? The showers were open where anyone could see, even if I didn't have a thing about getting naked in front of others, I couldn't get my tattoo wet. I already did. Great, she pointed to the second door on the right. After you. The room had two glowing candles, but no overhead light, a long table with a wall mirror beside it. She went to the back of the room and opened the bamboo dresser. Your shoes and clothes go in here, she pointed at the top shelf. Extra towels right here. I said okay and waited for her to close the door before taking off my shirt, being super careful not to let the fabric scrape my back. After I put my shoes and shirt away, I turned my back to the mirror, the thick black outline of a massive iron cross. Messiah engraved in the metal. It was like looking at someone else's body. The skin would never be blank again. Beth was going to love it. It'd been her idea. The lady had said clothes in the dresser, so I suppose that meant pants, too. I set the necklace box beside the tissue holder, then laid face down on the table and covered my butt with a towel. 
I turned my head to the wall, even though my neck still hurt to turn that way. The cut below my left eye was nearly healed, the skin a fading purple, a reminder not to train with Robinson. It's how he fought, so it's how he trained. MMA wasn't for the weak. The door opened and closed, soft footsteps beside me, the tip of a finger trailing up my hamstring. It took all I had not to face her. I wanted to see what she'd say about the latest edition, if she'd see her initials, B.C., at the bottom of the cross. She'd thought of that one, before Christ, when she'd knelt before me. The hand rested on my leg just below the towel. Ooh, that's fresh, the voice said. It should be covered. She had brown hair and big tits held back by a string bikini, sheer lingerie over it. I pushed a hand off and turned on my side. You're not Beth. The young woman gave my leg a gentle squeeze and said, She's busy. Everything clicked. The towel fell to the floor when I got to my feet. She took a step back and bumped into the wall, her eyes all glassy like Beth's after a long day. Hey, just relax. Show me where she is now. She put her hands up. You're crazy. I'm her boyfriend. She reached for the white robe hanging on the wall, but I grabbed it first and threw it to the floor. Now! She hurried out the room and took me to the hallway with the shower. There was only one door and it was closed. In there! I told her don't move, then banged on the door. A voice shouted, I'm busy! I slammed my shoulder into the door. The wood splintered around the lock and I tumbled into the small room, stopped a few feet from the gray desk that Beth was bent over, an Asian man with no shirt standing behind her, holding her hips. Beth covered her face. What the fuck? It was more than obvious, but I shouted, What are you doing? The man leaned down to his right and pulled out a silver handgun, the barrel so black. Shut your mouth! It was the first time I'd had a gun pointed at me, all my strength now useless. You stay right there! He got back behind Beth, his other hand on her neck, smashing her chest against the desk. In fact, why don't you get on down? Get on down on your knees. I took a step back and said, I'm leaving. He cocked the gun and let out a low grunt as he pushed forward. Beth closed her eyes. Don't be dumb. Something cracked the back of my head and I dropped to my knees, my face inches away from her hands holding the edge of the desk, her knuckles white. She said, it's work. The following New Year's Eve, I spent alone with my movies. The one after that I was working Vegas' hottest spot, thanks to Kyle, one of the pro fighters I trained with. There I was, 24 years old and averaging $300 a night, telling people what they could do and where they could go, a job not too different from father's, although he'd have been happy to make that much a week. That night, I was stationed on the fifth floor, my back to the wall because I'd seen my share of sucker punches. The elevators were to my right, the glass-enclosed VIP booths 50 feet in front of me, the hallway to the VIP bathrooms behind me. The rest of the level was spread along the balcony to my left. Groups of idiots surrounding tiny tables with overpriced bottles, a four-foot-high railing, the only thing keeping the morons from falling to their death on the dance floor below. The elevator opened and Kyle stepped out, same black suit and earpiece as me, a mass of flesh hooded past us, and he disappeared back inside without so much as a nod, neither of us talking since I put his boy Robinson in the hospital. I didn't want to hurt him, but Robinson was the one who took the sparring to the next level. The last ones off the elevator was a group of five girls wearing just enough not to get arrested. 
The leader of the pack, a chunky blonde in a see-through brown dress with no bra, grabbed a hold of a friend's hand and ran toward the balcony, screaming over the throbbing music. Hell yeah, Vegas, baby! Her hands huddled around her with their backs to the railing, everyone trying to fit in the picture. The massive jumbotron countdown clock high above the dance floor displaying 1129. They squeezed together and kept their painted smiles until the clock ticked over to the 30-minute mark. Massive flames shooting out from the screen in all directions, a wave of heat covering the club, everyone losing their fucking mind. I wiped off my forehead while the girls made their way to the crowded table where a bachelorette party was in full swing, groups of guys hovering nearby ready to swoop. Kyle and the elevator were back. I clenched my fists when the first guy walked out, a stocky Asian guy that looked like Beth's boss. It wasn't him, but he was still out there. Beth had texted me not to do anything stupid, said I should be glad they let me live. Shane, the biggest and blackest man I ever saw, filled the doorway that led to the two VIP boxes. His eyebrows were arched, his angry brown eyes on me. Just like Kyle, he wasn't ever going to let Robinson's accident go. The walls to the VIP boxes were glass so everyone could see who had coughed up 30000 for a five-hour party. There were only three couples in the room to the right and none of the women were anything special by Vegas standards. No one who knew anything would ever say that out loud. Lucas, the muscular guy in blue jeans and green button-down taking up the couch, was not someone to be messed with. The real party was going on next door in the smaller room, packed with people. The main players were the two white guys in suits who looked straight off Wall Street with their crystal magnums and fancy watches. Tammy, a tight little brunette, her black outfit barely covering her up, was working that side. Taking tips down the front of her leather pants, between her tits, wherever they wanted— she must have seen the way I was looking at her because when she walked by to fill the drink order, she said, I've got three fucking kids and no man. The elevator dropped off more drunken idiots, screaming, Fucking Vegas! Another wave of hot air rolled over the club, morons screaming as 11.40 ignited. A bleached blonde in a sheer white mini dress slid close to me. Hey, Josh, what you know about those guys? Tall one's Michael. The small one is his brother, Benji. Both seem like douchebags. Thanks, hon, she straightened my suit and asked. Got an extra wristband for me? Sorry, Lanny, you know my rule. She left her hand on my belt buckle. How come you're no fun? If she had a couple of hours, I could have explained how the world was turning to shit and no one seemed to care. How father was pointing out the signs of the second coming and he was starting to look right. But Lanny was a whore, and two hours with her would run a thousand. Time was money, and Lanny was done wasting it on me. In less than a minute, she was past Shane, introduced to the Wall Street guys and sipping from their bottles. On the other side of the wall, Lucas and his friends were hugging the women goodbye. Zack, whose red shoes matched the flames tattooed on his neck, walked them to the elevator, a chubby one in black trying to hold his hand. He loaded them all in the elevator before slipping Kyle some cash. Zack strolled over and nudged my arm, pointed at the other VIP room. You know those guys? Seen them before? First time. I don't like them. You know we're cool and won't start no shit, but I'm just saying. I hear you. Zack hung out beside me, his scowl never fading. The elevator opened and Kyle ushered out eight beautiful young women and pointed them to Zack. One by one, they kissed him on the cheek and wished him a happy new year. The last one hugged him tight and thrust her tongue down his throat, breaking it off so they could continue in the VIP suite. 
I had noticed the woman standing on the other side of me, her back to the wall, shoulder to the column. She was scrolling through her phone, her hair hiding her face. I pointed at the bachelorette party and said, aren't you with them? She looked where I was pointing. Two guys to each girl drinking and dancing, groping and grinding, camera phones flashing every second. Yeah, afraid so. Where's the lucky guy? If I had to guess, I'd say doing the same thing, but a whole lot worse. The clock hit 11.45 and exploded, the shout so loud. She said some stuff I couldn't hear. I think her name was Heather. A bright light hit me. Shane with his flashlight. Michael, the older of the brothers, headed my way with Lanny. Heather said, what's his problem? I'd hurt someone that tried to hurt me, but his friends didn't see it that way. Robinson had kept tagging me with cheap shots, sneaking in elbows even though we weren't supposed to. I slapped a crucifix on him and didn't ease off the gas, snapping his neck, making it so he'd never fight again. It hadn't been premeditated, but one of the fastest times I'd ever cast judgment. Heather didn't need to hear any of that, and it was too loud, so I said, Long story. Lanny led Michael by his hand, his eyes on her ass. I stepped to the side before they got to me, but he still stopped, waited until I met his eyes. Spit flew out of Michael's lips when he said, There's a problem? Not at all. Go right ahead. He said, Good, and licked the drool from the corner of his mouth, tripped a little on the carpet. The clock exploded into 11.50. A group of girls squeezed out of the elevator, yelling ten minutes, their hands in the air. The balcony had to be close to capacity. A swarm of people, as far as I could see. It was two girls per guy in Lucas's room, and more entertaining to watch than when the wives had been with them. The Wall Street room was packed, full of females except for Benji, the younger brother who was hunched over in the corner. Girls were pointing at him and making a face. I wasn't supposed to leave my post, so I flashed Shane, then the window. He waved me off, but didn't move, so I went up to him and said, That scumbag just pissed in there. The scumbag in question saw me pointing and puffed out his chest. What? He held up his hand. I thought about breaking his arm, but I needed the job. Shane said, I got this. I headed back to my post where the bride had her arms wrapped around Heather. Heather eased her off and said, I'm fine. If I hadn't known what day it was, I wouldn't have understood when she mumbled, It's New Year's. Heather pointed at the table. So go enjoy it with your friends. The girl grabbed Heather's hand and knocked the phone out. Come on! Heather pushed her away and bent down to get the phone. The bride wasn't listening, so I stepped in front of her. I'm sure she'll be over in a minute. The bride smiled, wobbled back and forth. Like my shirt? It had been a plain white shirt, but it looked like they'd used the marker stuffed between her tits to write down different tasks. Kiss the bartender, get a condom from a guy, have a guy buy you a shot, spank someone, hard. Number four had three checks beside it. Grab a bounce's dick. I said, how nice, but didn't mean it. The words belly out of my mouth when she grabbed a hold of mine through my pants. Heather hit her hand off and said, Cindy, leave me alone. 300 seconds to go. 11.55 exploded in a burst of fire and everyone screamed. Cindy stumbled back to her group that had moved to the packed balcony, fist in the air. She shouted, Woohoo, Vegas! I kept my eyes on the crowd because things were amping up, the heat becoming unbearable. Several of women were flashing their tits at the crowd below, guys shooting their hands in for free gropes. Heather was still beside me. I asked, you okay? Yeah, you don't sound it. 
She was staring at Cindy bent over the railing, an older guy holding her ass, laughing as he posed for the camera. That's my sister. Oh, she's just drunk. There were people everywhere, standing room only and VIP. Shane wasn't at the door. He was drinking with Tammy and the brothers, surrounded by girls holding up bottles and snapping selfies. Benji caught me staring. He held up his bottle and said it big and slow so I didn't need to hear. Happy New Year, motherfucker. The music pulsed louder and faster. Another blast of heat, 1156. Everyone counted down, found a friend or some stranger to cuddle up with. Fire burst every minute, sweat trickling down my brow, my armpits soaked. At 11.59, the blast came every 10 seconds, bigger each time, a fiery hell. It got down to three, and Heather placed a sweaty palm on mine and gave me a soft squeeze. I hugged Heather as the new year exploded, purple and pink balloons pouring down all around us. Happy New Year. Hope the next one's better. She said, I don't want to spend it by myself. You get used to it. There were too many people in the VIP, no one at the door to stop others from rushing in. Two girls on Lucas's side were pressed against the glass, mouthing for help. Michael had his hand down the back of Tammy's pants, his head back in laughter. She jerked away and turned to face him and the water bills he held as an apology. I was nearly to the door when Tammy put her hands by her side and let Michael stuff the bills down her top. He kept his hand there and pulled her close. She spun away, and her top tore off, the bills falling to the ground. Shane finally saw what was happening and grabbed Michael from behind, but Benji had the giant bottle in the air. I tried to shout, but the words barely left my mouth when the bottle collided with Shane's head, dropping him, glass and champagne spraying all over the room. Girls screamed and ran past me. Tammy covered herself in the corner. I flew across the room, felt his face break under my fist. I braced for the blow from Michael, but it never came. Lucas dragging him away by a handful of hair. I appreciated the help, especially with Shane unconscious, but Michael's scream scared me. He tried getting to his feet, but they just skidded off the floor with Lucas pulling too fast. Once they were on the balcony, Lucas changed directions, let Michael bounce off his chest and onto the floor. Michael got up like Lucas was telling him to, but Lucas had the look of someone who'd already had his mind set. His eyes flashed the same anger that shines in my family. I shouted, stop, but Lucas was already moving. He stepped in close and blasted Michael, sumo style, caving in his chest and knocking him into the railing. The smack sounded like something broke. I grabbed hold of Michael's wrist and said it'd be okay, but Lucas came barreling into us and knocked him over the railing. Michael's fingers dug into my forearm and he screamed something I couldn't hear as he hung below. I sat back as far as I could, yelled for people to help. It felt like my arm was ripping off, but I was more concerned he'd take me with him. Lucas leaned over our heads only a foot apart. He reached out and grabbed a hold of Michael's right arm. I got this, Messiah. You did good. Lucas had never called me Messiah before, never said more than two words. His grip on the suit sleeve was reassuring. My armpit felt like it tearing too, and my grip was slipping, but I couldn't let go. I got him. I had no choice but to trust Lucas. His lie only lasted two seconds without me, Michael's eyes as wide as his mouth as he plummeted down. Lucas pulled me back before Michael smashed below, and he wrapped me up in a hug and headed for the elevators. Keeping one arm around my neck, our heads connected. Lucas spoke like father, like he could not be ignored. You go downstairs and tell them how we both tried saving this poor man's life. 
His other hand came back, shoved a wad of bills into my pocket. That's enough to take a little trip. What? Where to? You'll figure it out. Just don't come back for a bit. Once I was in the elevator, Lucas turned me around so we were eye to eye. You're a good man. Do the right thing. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.